Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Forged in Ohio. This is Jake Murren, the host of the podcast. Hope you all enjoyed last week's interview with Dylan, the mindless Hulk Budka. The support on that episode has been insane, so thank you all for the support on episode 20. We move along today, though, with yet another great fighter. Today, I'm joined by a 3-in-1 amateur mixed martial artist from the state of Ohio. He was a credentialed wrestler in high school. He's competed in BJJ and Muay Thai as well, and he's coming off his first stoppage victory on March 3rd at Ohio Combat League 24. He is Devin Gelati. Thank you for coming on the show, Devin, and welcome to Forge in Ohio. Appreciate you having me, brother. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you taking the time and joining me on the podcast. I definitely want to get into that submission win you had at OCL 24. Before that, I do want to talk about your backstory and how this combat sports journey that you're embarking on came to fruition. So tell me a little bit more about your time wrestling in high school and how you got into that sport in the first place. Yeah, man. Um, honestly, I didn't have, you know, the best upbringing. I was adopted when I was 10. So, um, you know, growing up, it, it was kind of just seeing the, the wrongs in life, how to do things incorrectly, how to get in trouble. You know, like I said, when I was 10, my uh, actually my peewee football coach adopted me. So now my, my dad and my, my mother and um, really, you know, diverted my attention away from all the negative aspects in life. You know, the foster care, the, the homeless shelter living. And, uh, you know, at the age of 10, it's like the, the world changed around and kind of reverted to sports. And then as time went on, we ended up moving to Florida where, uh, you know, I ended up meeting my wrestling coach. You know, football was my number one, uh, which I ended up playing in college. But uh, wrestling really caught my attention and taught me, you know, that that brotherhood and family aspect. And uh, there's just nothing like it, man. Would you say that life maybe, of course, it was... I'm sure it was a crazy experience that you went through when you were 10 years old, but maybe in hindsight, did it change for the better being adopted by your football coach and then really just embarking on this journey of playing sports, whether that be MMA or, or football at the time? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, it, it was just day and night from going, you know, from foster care living, the homeless shelter, you know, as a child being in a homeless shelter, I mean, it's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Um, then being adopted by a family that, you know, is just changing your life as a whole, you know, not only financially and being able to do things that you never got to experience like vacations, um, you know, getting presents for Christmas, stuff like that, but just kind of reverting, you know, the negative buildup that I had in life and, you know, the experiences and just kind of focusing on sports and then, you know, building those friendships and, you know, wanting to compete and be the best and, and, those factors drive you to doing better in school, not getting in trouble because, you know, you didn't want to get the sports taken away from you. Right. And you mentioned how important football was in your life. I know you played football at Stetson and the University of Texas at El Paso. Ultimately, what brought you back to the state of Ohio, though? Honestly, job opportunities. That was the big thing. Um, I uh, started out at a prison. I worked at Madison Correctional and then from there just kind of built my way up and went to um, Columbus Police Department, and then from there, um, after the riots uh, about two years ago, and, and just not being supported in Columbus by some of the higher-up individuals in the city, um, I decided to go to Westerville, where um, there was just a lot more you know, opportunities, better opportunities, the city supports you, um, and that's kind of where I'm at now. 
Originally, I had moved here with um, my son's mother, who a few years ago I ended up, uh, you know, divorcing or whatnot, and which led to me having full custody of my son, um, and she's no longer in the picture. So, yeah, it's just me and my little man here now, and you know, great, great job. Yeah, your story is incredible, and I do want to circle back to your work as a police officer and what you do for your community. Sticking with you know your journey in combat sports, though, how and when did mixed martial arts come into your life? Um, I would say probably about three-ish years ago. Actually, when I was working at um, Madison Correctional, I always you know have that athlete drive in me, wanting to compete, so on and so forth. And I was kind of looking at you know something to get involved in. And actually, uh, Dan Spawn, who, uh, I mean, his his accolades are, are ridiculous. I mean, he, he's on the Ultimate Fighter, PFL, um, UFC. I mean, he's he's a dog. But I actually met him in the prison, and that's where um, it, it kind of started. And he kind of drug me into the gym. He's like, come on, man, you know, get in here. And I kind of, you know, looked up to him and just kind of listened to what he was saying. And, you know, it, it ended up working out. Yeah, and you've also competed in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai, I believe, on top of competing in amateur MMA. What intrigued you about those disciplines, and how did those, I guess, complement what was your original wrestling background? Yeah, so honestly, being around some of these guys that have just accomplished so much, it's so important to have all these different avenues, and, and you know, just adding them into one so you can be the best complete fighter. With BJJ, obviously... I think I kind of had a head start with having that wrestling background, but obviously there's just so many things that transitioning from wrestling could lead to, you know, negatives, you know, bad habits, so on and so forth. So the BJJ really braced me in some of those bad habits in wrestling, um, not to get caught in certain chokes on certain takedowns, um, stuff like that. Um, and then with the Muay Thai, I really started focusing on Muay Thai after my first couple fights because everyone wants to be a fighter and stand and bang until, you know, it's time to get in the cage. You know what I mean? And, and when you get in there, it's just, a, it's a whole different way of life, honestly. And, and the Muay Thai really started to develop my kicks, my knees, my striking, so on and so forth, which then leads into the wrestling. If I can have the wrestling on the, the back burner and, you know, be able to stand there and just bang with people when it comes down to the scrambles, the wrestling, I know I'm in good shape. And, uh, you you got to be able to set up the takedowns. So I really started focusing on Muay Thai, Coach Boggs and, uh, you know, Bryce. Um, I did a tournament last uh, June, and, uh, I mean, there was great com- competitors from all over the country. There were fighters from Canada, and, I mean, it was it was a great experience. I'm actually going again in June this year. So, yeah, just trying to be the best well-rounded fighter I can be. Yeah, I love asking these questions to people that have that wrestling background and even a little bit of uh, BJJ as well. What were those first initial exposures to striking like? And obviously you've competed in Muay Thai and amateur MMA by now. But, you know, that that first exposure to getting struck in the head and having to defend those strikes, what was that like? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a whole different, I mean, level of understanding. I mean, honestly, like you can spar all day, you can practice all day, but when you actually get in the cage, and someone's really trying to take your head off, like it's just a whole different game plan, if you will. You have to be able to bounce back. I mean, you have to know that if you get cut open or you're bleeding, that like it's okay. Like you can still fight. And I think that's the biggest thing that you see is a lot of great fighters, a lot of great competitors, when they're on these national levels um, and, and millions of viewers, you see, I mean, 
people are knocked unconscious almost at times and bounce back and win, submit people, end up knocking them out. And to me, that is the most impressive part of the game is how you can be down, you could be losing, you could you could take multiple strikes, you can be cut open, bleeding at the point where you think you're you're gonna lose, but then you stick to game plan, you stick to um, the cardio, the endurance, the things you've done, you outlast your opponent and you win. That's just the most impressive thing to me when I watch people. You mentioned, you know, you've competed in BJJ and Muay Thai, and I know that's really to just kind of hone in your skills and make you a more well-rounded fighter. But actually, you know, how successful have you been in those competitions themselves? Yeah, so, I mean, BJJ, I'm technically still a white belt right now. I need to make sure I'm, you know, more consistent. But I do a lot of, like, the no-gi classes and whatnot at times. That That's one of my biggest focuses coming up is – to try to be in there more consistently. But at the tournaments, I usually do pretty well. But again, you know, I think I have that head start on most people that are, you know, my belt color. And even when I do no-gi against some of the, you know, higher belts, I, I do a pretty decent job. I haven't done a tournament in a little while. Um, like I said, I've been really focusing on the Muay Thai. And actually last June, which was my Muay Thai tournament, I ended up losing first round. Um, I lost to a guy out of, I think it was Chicago, Really good gym. He actually ended up going to the finals and, and doing what you know really well. Mm. Um, so ended up getting placed with him first round, but we, I ended up losing by decision. Uh, I mean, but we were standing banging, and you know, like I said, I uh, I just learned so much. You know, being able to throw elbows and being able to throw head kicks and 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 stuff like that. It has really just separated me, and um, like I said, it, it's just so huge, especially with the 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 wrestling and being able to incorporate that in your game. When you start throwing all of these things at somebody, kicks, punches, different strikes, the wrestling is there all day. That's what sets your takedowns up. Yeah, and it's showing in your fights now, too. You fight out of Ronin Training Center. You're the third fighter from Ronin I've had on Forge in Ohio. Kobe Woodall and Max Metzger had nothing but good things to say, but what's Ronin been like for you? Oh, man, it's been a blessing. I mean, and those two guys are are amazing they're they're two of my my brothers for sure and you know max me and max are, are really tight this this training camp for uh this fight we were literally doing two and three a days um multiple times a week i mean between you know db trains which we're a part of which is like our wrestling club ronin we were doing different sparring sessions at immortal we do strength and conditioning on tuesdays and thursdays i mean we were really putting that work in but ronin as a whole man it's a great group of people. There's so many good people in there. Um, and what I tell people is um, you come across those guys that, that like to try to build themselves up. And they're like, yeah, you know, I'm the best in my gym and this that, and the third. If you're the best in your gym, there's probably in, in everything, there's probably a problem. Um, there's a lot of people in my gym that beat me up. And like, I'm okay to say that, you know, Travis Davis, Melvin Harris, Lance, uh, Dan Spawn. I couldn't tell you how many times I've been bleeding or felt like I was knocked out. There's just so many good people there. And then not even to talk about our BJJ program and all the world champs and, uh, you know, Muay Thai champions we have. We have a lot of Muay Thai guys in, in Thailand right now fighting. There's just a great group of people and, and a lot of diversity. I mean, you got people that have criminal histories. You got cops. You got doctors. You got all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, we don't look at any of that when we're in there. It's all, you know, just just a family. 
Yeah, that's incredible to hear, and it's just been nothing but good stories I've heard out of Ronan and what you guys got brewing there in Columbus. You mentioned your connection to Max, and you just recently fought on the same card with Max, both of you guys coming out victorious in those fights. Just talk about you know competing on the same card with, with a teammate like that. Does it give you more motivation to go in there together and get both of those wins? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, man. Um, we actually had... We had, I think, four on this card. We had me, Max, Skyler, and Mufasa. And just going in there together, it, it, it's just a, it's just comforting. I mean, the nerves are crazy. There's no feeling like being in the cage. And what I tell people is so many people talk about, you know, wanting to fight and do this and how good they would be if they did it and so on and so forth. Just getting in there and those nerves is, is the first level <laughs> that you got to get by. And I tell people all the time at work, I deal a lot with, gangbangers drugs and guns that that's my go-to that's my love that's my passion there's no calls that i go on even you know shootings i've been involved in all kinds of things throughout my career i've been involved in officer involved shootings pursuits there's no feeling like getting in that cage getting in that cage trumps all that and i literally could die so (laughs) there's no feeling so having your family there your brothers it's just awesome you know you comfort each other and just the motivation, Melvin Harris too. Me and him are re- you know really really tight, and I mean that's my boy. I mean there's a lot of things about his game I look up to, and uh, I mean I, I feel like he's really taken me under his wing, and uh, you know made me grow as a fighter. Do you still have that anxiety and those nerves stepping into the cage now, four fights down in your amateur career? Absolutely. I think this fight was probably the most nervous that I have been, and which is crazy to think because. If you look at some of the people I fought, for instance, my first fight, he's number one in the state. He has the belt, uh, Anthony. We're actually friends now. And, uh, you know, I go up to Cleveland up at Upgraded and train with him and, uh, you know, his crew up there. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of really good people up there, a bunch of great athletes. But if you look at some of the people that I have fought, their records and accolades are, are way better than the dude that I just fought. But I think the problem for me is a my last two fights were canceled one was because someone dropped out uh which seems to happen more than often and uh, the other one my last event was actually canceled because of weather and it was an outside venue and there was no backup plan mm-hmm. so then i was actually going through these fights with a hurt shoulder um so at that point i'm like you know what let's fix my shoulder so i had my shoulder surgery less than six months ago and then during this camp, I actually destroyed my back. I was going through PT two to three times a day, um, getting different procedures done, so on and so forth. And I have to thank, you know, my guy, Dylan Seeley over at uh, Central Ohio Spine and Joint. Him and uh, Dr. Verma at the, uh, Essentials up there on Main Street, they, uh, they got me right and uh, got me in the mode that, hey, I'm fighting, I'm going to win, I'm getting through this. So I think if you add all those factors together between cancellation of fights, injuries, so on and so forth, in my mind, I'm like, dude, I'm just ready to get in there and get this win and get it over with. And that lag period is just terrible. With those issues with your back, was there ever ever a moment in the camp where you thought you might not be able to fight? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It was... I think I was a week and a few days out and I had text uh, Nicole, our matchmaker and uh, Travis Davis, who uh, is, you know, 
big part of Ohio Combat League. I was like, guys, like, I'm not sure that I'm even going to be able to fight, but I want to keep you in the loop right now. Um, I don't want to pull out yet because I've never pulled out of a fight. Um, doesn't matter who it is. Like, I'm showing up because I know what it's like to cut weight, to do this whole, you know, list of things just to be able to fight. And then someone pull out. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to give it my all. And, uh, you know, like I said, I thankfully, fortunately, you know, Dylan and Dr. Verma were able to get me right because I think just under a week I made the decision like, Hey, I'm going to fight. Do you think those nerves, you know, with everything going on before this fourth fight, do you think those nerves and that stress going into the cage will be reduced in future fights? And how will you actually continue to work on that? I guess. I think it will just because, you know, you don't have all those factors to worry about. Ultimately, you're still going to be nervous, but I look up, you know, at, at some of the guys, you know, like Melvin or Skyler, you know, even Max, Travis, Spawn, like some of these guys that have, you know, more fights and, and just have, you know, done so much with their career. Some of them are just so calm getting into the ring. But if you ask all of them, it's the same thing. It's the nerves. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have them regardless. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about that fourth fight, so let's get into it. You were self-critical after your second amateur MMA win. You wrote on Facebook that there were still too many mistakes they had to correct them going into your next fight. I'm sure you were more pleased with your last performance on March 3rd. Any frustration or mistakes that you feel like you have to correct after that fight? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I still had mistakes in this fight. Ultimately, the beginning of round one, I threw a naked kick and when I threw the naked kick he kind of got up under my leg a little bit and I just I fell and then he just tried to jump on top of me when he jumped on top of me he picked me up a little bit and tried to like slam me on on the canvas I mean I didn't really feel it at all but I didn't like that at all like that's not something that I'm proud of I'm not used to people really (sighs) slamming me like that if you will right um and like I said I I didn't really feel it but I just I put myself in a bad position and then also, I think when I had him against the cage, and which ended up you know, leading to my submission, I threw strikes, I landed them, but I should have just been throwing more, and I should have progressed quicker. Like I said, it's all about patience, especially when you're in a position like that and setting things up. But I feel like I could have moved a little bit more quicker, been a little bit more active, and, and probably done a little bit more damage. But ultimately, I mean, I'm happy with the win. I'm happy it was you know, in the first round. I think the only... You know, one of the negatives that could come out of this is, I mean, rain time is everything. Obviously, nobody wants to go three rounds every fight. But there's a lot of things that, like, I wanted to use that I've been practicing that I didn't get a chance to do. But like I said, I mean, there's going to be future fights. And, you know, those are all things that I can use in the future. And ultimately, the goal is to get in there and get done as quick as possible. It's just been it's been real frustrating with fights being canceled and people pulling out. Even for this fight, I think Nicole sent me over a total of I think three contracts that I signed and we sent back. And I don't know if it was after they looked me up or after I, or life was too hard. I, I don't know what, what transpired, but after I signed the contract and she sent it back, a total of three people then pulled out, which doesn't really make sense to me because if you tell a matchmaker, like you're available and you want to fight, it just seems like there's too many times where things come up and it's like, Oh, you know, well, you know, I can't fight. Um, well before you could fight. So I'm not understanding like why we're pulling out now. 
Yeah, and people might be confused listening as to, you know, why you wanted that cage time and how important that cage time is as an amateur fighter. It's so important for you to hone in your skills and really go out there and experiment with other things. And you mentioned the canceled bouts. You know, this fight was your first fight in over two years from that layoff and ended two minutes and 54 seconds into the first round. So that's completely understandable to me. Just to kind of talk about that first round stoppage, it was the first stoppage in your career. What exactly did that mean to you? I mean, it meant a lot um, because, I mean, I literally did what I was told to do and what I practiced. Um, and leading up to, you know, the fight on Monday and Wednesday of that week, I literally, with uh, Coach Josh Williams and Melvin Harris, literally worked entry into takedowns, takedowns to the grounds, building your base or transitioning and, uh, you know, getting those submissions. Those are exactly what we worked. We worked you know, posturing up, having them on the cage. So literally exactly what we worked is exactly what happens. And, uh, I mean, Josh Williams is, he's one of the best coaches in, in the nation. I mean, this dude has been doing it for over 20 years. He has some, some crazy, you know, individuals on his resume that he's coached at the highest levels. I mean, PFL, UFC, Bellator, the dude knows what he's doing and he's going to be hard on you. He's going to be on your, on, on your butt about every little thing, details, and he's constantly on me, but I mean, I, I love the dude to death. My son loves him to death, calls him Coach Josh, and uh, I just, you know, look look at building from here. Were you surprised as to how easily that arm triangle choke came to you at the end of the first round? I know you had been practicing it, but it seemed kind of effortless for you to advance position and get him in that choke. So, in the beginning, yes, but I think really what caught my attention is when he picked me up and tried like this little weird slam thing, I was on my back and I kind of wrapped around him. I had my legs and my arms around his neck, pulling him down. Um, he then did that little like slam thing, if you will, at which point I built a base, got to my stomach and I grabbed wrist. Wrist control is huge. He didn't land a single punch on me. So at that point I stood up, got up, which was the next important thing. And then I just saw it in his face. He was exhausted. So he went through all of those stages and he was ex- exhausted like I told, I told you and, and, you know, like, like people know I was a wrestler. So like, I, I'm ready to go three rounds. Like I'm ready. And, you know, at that point, once I set up my combinations to the body kick, which then led to my takedown, I just knew he was so tired. And then once I finally got the choke in, I heard him gasping for air. So once I heard that, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's in. Now I did not know that his hands went up and he almost tapped and then he brought it back down and then he tapped. Obviously he thought about it and he was trying to get through the rounds. He heard the 10 seconds. So at that point I dug my shoulder in and just, you know, squeezed even harder and uh, yeah, got it. Yeah. Six seconds left. And obviously you don't know cause you're not in that position, but if he didn't tap right there, do you think he would have made it the six seconds or do you think he would have gone to sleep before tapping out? Honestly, with how tight I had it and hurting him like ask for air, I, I think that he he would have went out. Even when I got up, you can kind of see it on his face. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was pretty close to going out. I also think that mentally he's a tough dude, and he tried to push through. And I give all my respect to him for one, showing up, for two, pulling through, not pulling out, and uh, you know getting in there. It takes a lot of heart. And uh, I talked to dakota after the fight and you know he's pretty upset pretty down you know he was he was crying and whatnot and i went over and talked to him and uh i don't know if, if many know but he was a uh a convicted felon um he, he did prison time 
And uh, I told him, don't let your past define you. I, I've met a lot of great people that were in prison that changed their life. He said that, you know, he's getting in the cage for the kids to show that, you know, you make mistakes, you can still change your life and, and try to do some positive uh, things. So, you know, all my respect goes out to him. And uh, I've been in that position where I lost and I got choked out. You know, my first fight against Anthony, it happens. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not the type that, you know, I'm not the, the crap talker or the, you know, not humble person because at any minute you can lose. So all my respect goes to him. Yeah, and that's some inspirational stuff there, what you talk to him about. And I know that conversation between competitors is often private after the fight, but you sharing that, I do appreciate that. And do you know how much of an effect that might have had on him? Have you talked to him after that or anything like that? No, so I haven't talked to him, you know, anytime after that. You know, like I said, I, I know that this loss was was big for him. Um, he did share with me also that, you know, like he doesn't have a father and, uh, I think mom was was a drug addict and stuff like that. And those are a lot of things that I could relate to. You know, like I said, before being adopted, uh, my, my life was far from perfect. Mother, drug addict, don't know my father, uh, my biological father, family in and out of prison. So, like, a lot of that I could relate to. But that's the beautiful part of MMA is when we get in the cage, there's respect before, after. I don't look at him differently. Just because you're in prison, I'm a cop. Like, that's that, that doesn't matter. People change. There's a lot of good people that made a bad decision. And, uh, you know, I just tried to express that to him and try to have him keep his head up. So two minutes and 54 seconds, that's not much cage time. We just talked about cage time, and I'm sure you were hungry and itching to get back in there. Since it wasn't that much cage time, do you still kind of have that feeling of being hungry just to get back in there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have the feeling right now. Um, (laughs) So, like I said, I have... I have that tournament in June coming up, which, um, you know, I plan on going and, you know, hopefully doing very well. Um, Like I said, I'm a way different fighter than I used to be. So I have room and, you know, for growth and and tons of things to fix. But I definitely plan on being there in June. And then I would love to fight another probably two times this year and and just, you know, kind of gain back the time that was lost. Um, I'm in no rush. You know, I'm. Uh, you know, I think I think the big thing between me and some other people is there's a lot of people that rely on this, you know, like financially, which I give them all my respect. And, and you see so many people, you know, financially struggle until they make it. I know a lot of a lot of people that, you know, were nobody, if you will. Right. They, they built their their platform and, and now they're they're fighting on you know national TV. Right. So it just takes so much to get there but i think that's the difference is like financially i don't rely on this so like i'm not i'm not in a rush i do it because i love it i do it because of the brotherhood i do it because i'm a competitor i have a good job i have benefits um you know stuff like that but um yeah i just i i love it yeah and it seems like health and your well-being after your last fight isn't much of a concern this time around when do you think and what's the timetable for a potential return for your fifth fight? You're not in a rush, but you fought for Ohio Combat League a lot. When would you want to get back in there? Um, I'm not too sure. I know I so I have a vacation coming up and uh actually I have a couple. But the main one is the end of this month I'm going with a friend and uh my little man. We're going to Europe. So I'm gonna go to Europe and uh, you know, go explore, kinda get away from everything for a little while, get away from work. Obviously, work's stressful at times. Get away, have some fun, eat a lot of food, 
but I mean, I, w- I would not mind in the next few months, uh, you know, getting back in the cage. Like I said, I just need to get through this vacation and not make a bad decision of signing up for a fight where I have a vacation prior. I've done that before where I've had, you know, a cruise or somewhere else where I was going out of the country and I had a fight as soon as I got back, like a couple weeks after. And I really had to watch what I was eating on the cruise and so on and so forth. So it was a lot more disciplined. But um, yeah, I don't I don't want to make that mistake again. I want to just go have a have a good time, enjoy my vacation, get away from work and kind of go from there. So this time you can really enjoy it. You can really, you know, indulge in the food in Europe, everything like that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, just sleep, man. My job, my job is, you know, stressful at times, but Mm -hmm. I love it. It's like a love hate relationship. I work third shift. So I work from 8 PM to 6 AM. And obviously we're dealing with the worst of the worst. Even the day of my fight, I had to take four hours off early so I can get a little sleep. I didn't get off till 2 AM. So I got off at 2 AM the day of my fight came home, slept for about four and a half hours. And then me and Max uh, met up and we went and cut our final, you know, weight. So I don't know, man. It's just, I feel like someone like me with the amount of things on my plate, I just, it strives, man. It strives me. It pushes me. It makes me be a better person. And like, I'm really putting a lot into it, you know, from sleep to having a son to raise by myself, so on and so forth. So I just try to make the best of every opportunity, push forward, learn from all those around me and just be receptive. Yeah, that's incredible. And I want to ask about that lifestyle, you know, your lifestyle, you're a single father, a police officer, and also doing your best in your amateur MMA career as well. What is it like trying to balance all of those things going on in your life? And you mentioned the sleep and hopefully you enjoy your vacation, but what is it like living that type of wild lifestyle? Man, I'm not going to lie to you. Like it's tough. I mean, I, I have my days. I have my days where um, it doesn't happen often, but I have my days where I kind of just sit there and, you know, break down with all the things on my plate and everything that, you know, I have to do. And also everything that I've accomplished and, and all those people that have been so important in my life. I sit back and I just think about how thankful I am. And so it's kind of like a, you know, me time just sitting there and just thinking about everything. But it, it is a lot, especially for my son. Not only do I have to be, you know, a father to him, and do all those normal things that come with, but we do all the, the side activities as well. We do all the sports. I mean, he's, he does wrestling. He does ice hockey. He's in football year round. He does basketball. He does swimming lessons on Mondays. Um, Cause I can't have my little man drowning when we go on vacations. So like when you add in all of those things on top of, you know, being the best dad I can be making sure academically, we're putting in that extra work, the reading, the coloring, the arts, the all of these things on top of the job and, and the stressful things that come with. It's a lot, especially making sure that I'm not taking those stressful times out on my son. Um, it's not his fault that I don't sleep. I decided to bring him into this world. Um, so my mindset is I'll just I'll sleep when he's 18, which is crazy, but I'll sleep later because he deserves he deserves everything. Like I said, it was my decision to bring him into this world, and uh, he deserves nothing but the best. Right, and as a college student, I think I'm busy, I'm overwhelmed, and you just really put it into perspective about how much you know I could have going on and how much other people 
kind of need to, you know, look at themselves in the mirror a little bit and see that they could have it worse or have it at least more busy, not necessarily worse, but just have a completely busy lifestyle like you do. Uh, talk to me about how your MMA training and background in all combat sports have helped you become the police officer that you are today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's there's a lot of situations that we encounter where we, you know, have to go hands on or maybe use your communication Every situation is different, but what I can say is there are going to be a lot of situations where my threat threshold is going to be a lot lower just because, like, I know I could handle myself. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, there, I, there's a lot of people in this world that could beat me up, right? But I'm going to assume that most of the criminals that I'm dealing with aren't going to have the level of training that I have. And don't get me wrong. I mean, when I was in the prison, I saw a lot of criminals that could fight, but when it comes to situations like that, my threshold is just, you know, lower. And then with everything I've been able to take in and deal with in my life, all the adversity, it makes the job easier. I'm able to communicate with people. I'm able to get to the root of things. Like I said, I was a corrections officer at Madison before being a cop. And uh, when I was in Columbus and working in some of the high crime areas, uh, Hilltop, Linden, Eastside, I came across a lot of, you know, high ranking gang members. And um, what really did it for me is being out on the street with these guys and them coming up to me, a police officer, and hugging me, telling me, hey, man, you know, it's good to see you. And that's because I treated them like a human when they were in the prison. I'm a cop. They're not even supposed to talk to me, right? So when you add all these avenues, the, the communication, you add um, all the training I do, you know, physically, making my threshold, you know, lower with individuals, I'm able to calm them down, talk them down, let them understand, like, hey, like, I'm listening, man. Like, I'm hearing you out. And just respecting people. Respect's a huge aspect. So obviously with training, it doesn't just come with the physicals. It comes with the respects. Um, we respect each other in the gym, respecting one another. So if you can respect these people on the street, it goes a far way. Yeah, and even maybe going back to your, your backstory, you know, from ages or when you were born to age 10, you know, maybe that kind of lets you relate to some of these these criminals and kind of settle them down, too. Is there anything to that as well? Oh, absolutely. And just understanding, man, for an example, if you pull somebody over, right, and, uh, you know, you give them a ticket for speeding, that ticket for speeding may be the most crucial thing that's happened to them in their life. So you got to have empathy towards people and know that every person that's driving or every person that's out there isn't just having the best day ever. And I think that's a big thing that I keep in my back pocket is you don't know what someone's been through. You don't know what they've encountered. Um, even some of the stuff I've shared, you know, with you today, like a lot of people don't know. I don't share a lot of that because I don't, I don't want people feeling sorry. I don't want people, you know, thinking like I need handouts or I need this or I need that. But like my life was hell before being adopted. And you have to be able to relate to some of these people to understand them. You know, if, if I don't understand anything about them, how can I approach them or communicate about stuff I don't understand? So, yeah, and that's a great point as well. One thing I did <laughs> want to ask you, too, you know, your your coworkers at the station, what do they make of your journey in MMA? Do they make fun? Do they respect you a little bit more because of it? What What's that like? Um, Honestly, man, they're all pretty supportive and uh, always asking questions. Most of them get the pay-per-views or come to my fight. You know, at times it's hard for them to get off work, so they'll they'll even purchase the pay-per-view and put it in the roll call room at the station. And if, if crime's not rampant, they'll come back and all watch it together. So, hmm. um, I love that about them. They're all very supportive. 
they worry at times. They don't want me to get hurt. So that that's one thing. But also, it opens up a lot of them talking crap to me, how they how they can whoop me and beat me up and everything <laughs> else. So. You've won two Officer of the Year awards as a police officer in Westerville. What do those accomplishments mean to you? Oh, it means the world. When I do something, I try to do it to the fullest. So, you know, me being a cop, I'm not there just for the, the pay, and I'm not just there for the benefits and everything else that comes with that. I'm there to be the best me and do the best that I can do. And that's one of the reasons I came to Westerville is they acknowledge the work you do. I don't need a slap on the back every time I get a gun, you know, drugs or whatever off the street. But for them to see my work and appreciate it, I mean, it means the world. And, you know, going forward, you know, these Officer of the Year awards, you know, will help me for, you know, future, uh, you know, job openings, units, et cetera. It's, it's funny, actually, now that I, I forgot this, but the next day after my fight, I actually had SWAT tryouts. So I had to go home after my fight. I only got about four or five hours of sleep. And then I had SWAT tryouts the next day. So, you know, these Officer of the Year awards are huge. It shows, you know, your commitment, your your hard work, your understanding of the job. And, and I mean, I could show up and just pull somebody over and sit in a parking lot and just collect my money or whatever. But it's not what is fun to me at all. It's It's not something that keeps me going. It's not something that makes me strive. I'm going to be doing this a long time. So, yeah. Well, with those tryouts, it's almost a good thing that your fight ended in the first round. How did those tryouts go the very next day after your fourth MMA fight? Oh, they actually went very well, man. I uh, I did I did pretty well. Um, I passed all aspects. I mean, it was it was a lot to have after a fight, after cutting weight, after weeks of training, and on you know ongoing injuries. I actually hurt my knee at work too, kicking a door in to go get somebody. So like I've just had tons of injuries, mm-hmm. but um, we had the mile and a half. 300 meter run we had bench leg press pull-ups sit and reach and then we had a pretty big uh shooting course that we had to you know pass you couldn't miss more than six bullets and i think we had to shoot a total of close to 70 all the way up to i think 70 feet was the longest we went so it was a lot but i mean it made everything worth it You recently posted on Instagram a letter that was written to you by a student whose life was saved by you after talking her down from suicide. I even got emotional reading the letter myself and the bio that you posted on social media. I encourage others to check it out as well. I'm not necessarily asking you for the full story. The reason I bring it up is I just want to hear what your reaction was like to opening and and reading that letter for the first time. Yeah, so when I... uh... When I got the text from our SOR or SRO at uh, Westerville North and the principal there, um, I'm pretty close with like the higher ups in the school district. And uh, they actually text me and they, you know, they were like, is, is this you? Because on the letter, I think she wrote like, dear Mr. Officer Man. She didn't know my last name. And, uh, you know, I went through it and I, I couldn't really remember. So I had to go through my computer log and see because I, you know, I deal with uh, suicidal people all the time. And um, I went through it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, it it was me. But, you know, reading through that, it was huge because, I mean, children are they're just so lost at sometimes, you know, especially going through high school, um, all the hormones, everything is going on with them. You know, want to be accepted family life. I mean, nobody, again, knows what someone is going through. Do they suffer from sexual abuse? Do they suffer from, you know, getting beat? Do they suffer from, you know, this or that? So when I got that letter from her showing how much of an impact I had on her. I mean, it meant the world. It was almost more rewarding than 
the guns, the drugs and everything I get off the street just because it, it changed her life. It changed her outlook. She's looking, looking on to the next few years, what she's going to do, what she's going to accomplish, which shows me, you know, promise that she doesn't want to leave. Um, that night she wanted to kill herself and I, I just, I wasn't going to allow it. So, you know, just again, use my communication. You know, I tried to relate to her in ways I showed her, you know, empathy and I just, I listened to her. Reading that letter, is that something that makes you feel like all this work you put in day in and day out is paying off and worth it? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, you see in the media all the time, uh, you know, negative things about law enforcement, mm -hmm. um, so on and so forth. And obviously, you know, with my job, we, we don't really get a say about any of that. We don't get a say about political stuff. We got to kind of stay away from all of that. But needless to say, when you hear something positive like that, it just it's a difference maker. It makes it really w worthwhile. And I feel like the, the positive things like this really need to be talked about more. You know, there's so much negativity in the news. And I know this is way off track here, but especially being a police officer, I know you you have this firsthand of all this negativity around the police and on the news. And hearing a story like this really needs to be celebrated and, and things like that. What do you what do you think about that and, and how these positive stories should really be shined a light instead of, you know, all these negative ones? Yeah, man, that, I think that's my my toughest battle is, I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times that I, like, literally saved someone's life. You know, there's times where cops are like, yeah, you know, I want to be a cop, like, to save someone's life or, you know, to do that. Like, it's actually happened. You know, like, I've actually saved people's lives and put my life on the line. I mean, it dates back to day three um, as a cop with Columbus Police. Day three. I'm not even being graded by my coaches, nothing. It's like, just show up. Let's try to show you the foundation of being a cop. I was involved in an officer-involved shooting day three. Individual was robbing steak and shake. You know, we showed up. He put the gun at us. And, you know, obviously the rest happened. And, uh, I mean, that's that's a lot to take in as a new officer, as someone that's never been a police officer, did not know on day three this is what I was going to be involved in. But, you know, situations like that that just kind of get swept under the rug and then all the negative aspects that come out. It's just, it's, it's really, it's really tiring. It's really tough to deal with, but I just know deep down, like just keep doing the right stuff. Just keep respecting people, keep treating people, you know, like you would want your family to be treated. And those are kind of some of the principles I live on at the end of the day, just got to keep being the best cop I can be. That's an insane story just for day three of being a police officer. And obviously I thank you for your service. You've done a lot saving lives and, for your community and doing everything that you're doing right now. If you make it as far as you want to go in mixed martial arts, what would that mean for your future as a police officer? If I make it to the, 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 the highest level possible, right. I'm, you know, national TV. I think I would still be a cop just because I just like, I love my job and, and I know that I'm making a difference and uh, I couldn't imagine really giving it up. I couldn't imagine myself really doing any other job at this point just because the impact i have the knowledge that that i have from everyone that has taught me again just being receptive and, and learning daily i mean there's so many things i don't know as a cop but i think that's the fun part is you don't know you learn uh laws bills stuff like that change all the time so so being able to adapt to that but yeah no matter how high i go i still i still plan on being a cop 
talking to Devin Gelati on Forge in Ohio. Let's talk about DB Train for a moment. You're, of course, affiliated with the nonprofit organization with DJ Bruce. How did you get your start with DBT? Honestly, I was cross-training with Josh Piero and Miles over at uh, Immortal. And uh, I had crossed paths with them. And I had seen like some social media posts and so on and so forth. And, I mean, we just had a really good conversation. I mean, DJ's a really good guy. So is Josh uh, Russo. He's uh, another one of our coaches. And, I mean, they just they put so much into it. And, uh, you know, immediately, just the way he was communicating the things he was telling us, I'm like, I feel like this could be an opportunity for us. You know, not only on the fighting side and all the wrestling knowledge they bring. Uh, Josh, he was like all Marine, a, a dog in wrestling. And then you have DJ who wrestled at uh, Virginia Tech. So, like, they bring a wealth of knowledge. Um, but they're also trying to get back to the community, you know, help kids, which, again, I love helping, you know, children and, and just helping people in general. So being a part of that is uh, is pretty huge. Yeah, and I've seen it firsthand. I was at their branding event last month and really got to see what they do and what they mean to the community and what DBT's effect has been so far. What has DB Train done for you and your own wrestling style and your fighting style so far? I think some of those bad habits. We, we've really been working a lot of, uh, you know, entries to takedowns, a lot of different throws, a lot of different, you know, de- defense techniques and a lot of conditioning, you know, a lot of wall work, live goes, and, and definitely it, it's evolved me for sure. DJ told me to ask about your son, Aiden, who is the head of conditioning. Tell me more about your son's involvement with the organization, his wrestling and how that came to be. Oh yeah, he uh, he'll have Aiden out there while we uh, do our conditioning in our practice, and will tell us how many sprints we got to do, so on and so forth. And yeah, Aiden loves DJ. Again, everybody in the gym. I mean, they're they're very understanding of my situation, and uh, my son's very well behaved. I mean, he sits there, doesn't bother anyone, but at the same time, you know, he 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 loves everyone in there. I mean, it's like brothers, uncles. It's just a great environment. Yeah, and I talked to Miles Hershey Robinson, who was on episode one of Forge in Ohio, about having his kid around the gym. What is it like for you having your son Aiden around and practicing at the gym? It's awesome because it's starting to spark his interest, too. Like I said, he wrestles. So it's just really, you know, making him that much interested in, you know, wrestling, fighting, so on and so forth. And he actually asked me recently, he's like, Daddy, I want to fight. And I'm like, Bud, listen. We're going to wrestle for now, and we got a thousand other sports. But one day, you know, may, maybe we'll, we'll get you in, you know, some, some Muay Thai or, or something like that. But I'm like, dude, we, we have way too many sports right now. But, yeah, he's just, he's just such a motivator. Even the night of my fight, I made a decision that I wasn't going to bring him. So, I mean, it was a Hollywood casino. It's on the west side. Uh, who knows? I'm going to run into someone I arrested. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, you know, obviously having to be 21 to get in, I just didn't want to, you know, push any – issues or whatnot so i left him at home i you know i got a setter for the night and i came home the next day and he's like daddy did you did you win i'm like yeah but i won he's like did you beat him up i'm like i i I choked him out bud he's like okay he's like i tried to find you on on espn but i couldn't find you daddy i'm like but i'm not on espn but he's just so supportive and um he, he loves being there yeah, that's an incredible story. How much, you know, you mentioned how he wants to, he's involved in wrestling and how he might want to be a fighter one day. How much does he actually look up to you and see you as a mentor with all the success you're having? 
honestly, even with, you know, the MMA and wrestling, you know, and my job, I could do anything. And this dude thinks I'm a superhero. You know, I take the garbage out and pick it up and throw it in the, the can. Dang, daddy, you're so strong. You know, I'm like, dude, you know, it, it's just that age. And I, I love everything about it. I'm his freaking hero, even though, I mean, there's definitely times where I'm like, you know, I could be a better dad or I could be a better this or better that. I'm very, very hard on myself and critique myself um, and constantly, even as a father, you know, Google certain things or read read up on, on others. And cause I, I just want to be the best at everything I do or get to the best level that I can be or, uh, you know, achieve that level. So I'm constantly trying to learn. And, um, yeah, that's, that's my buddy. Yeah, that makes total sense, and it sounds like that connection that you have with your son is is truly something special. Before we wrap up, uh, anything you want to shout out or plug on the podcast? Uh, the floor is yours, Devin. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I just I want to thank all my all my teammates, my my friends, my coaches. They're a huge part of this. I mean, they show up, they support me, constantly encouraging me. All my training partners, I mean, they're amazing. They they're building me into the person I am. I mean, my sponsors, the training room, you know, DB Train, Decentral Sports and Spine. Um, like I said, Dylan over at the training room, he's he's a wealth of knowledge. This dude is amazing. He's fixed so many injuries of mine. And Dr. Verma over at Essential, the dude's a freaking wizard at injections and everything he does. But, yeah, I, I really want to thank, you know, all my sponsors and everyone that, you know, just does everything. To, to ensure that I succeed and um, you know move forward. Well, thanks again, Devin, for joining me on the show. It's an understatement to say that you live a busy lifestyle, so I appreciate it more than you know. I know you spent a lot of time in Florida, but your roots are in the state of Ohio. There's only one way I like to end interviews on Forge in Ohio. It's a chant that goes like this, OH! I-O! Thanks, Devin. Thanks for coming on. You have something special going on with DB Trained and Ronin. I wish you the best in your work with training in future fights and enjoy that vacation. It's well-deserved. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, brother. That was Devin Gelati, the 3-in-1 amateur mixed martial artist. With his competition in Muay Thai and BJJ in the past, mixed in with that wrestling background, this is a middleweight that you're going to want to keep an eye on. He's also surrounded himself with the best of the best at Ronin Training Center in Columbus, and of course the nonprofit organization DB Trained as well. He's also just a great guy with what he does aside from fighting, and he lives life by some incredible values. I hope you enjoyed that conversation just as much as I did. If you haven't already, go follow at Forge in Ohio on Instagram and support the podcast by downloading episodes and sharing them with others. Thank you all for tuning in. I've been your host, Jake Murin, and this was Forged in Ohio.